Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. Welcome to this week's Story Saturday, my effort to give you something a little different in a time when every day feels exactly the same. Before I get started, I want to thank all of you for supporting this podcast. If you've been listening, then you know that what started as a creative endeavor to mark this time has become the way that I'm trying to support my family after we lost our source of income because of COVID-19. And you, shelter-in-place listeners, have done so much to make these challenges a little more bearable. Thank you to all of you who have subscribed to the podcast, who have shared it with your friends and posted it on social media. Some of you have rated and written incredibly kind reviews on iTunes. Others have used the code SHELTER when you've purchased wine from brickandmortarwines.com and winesforchange.com, which supports this show. A few of you have even reached out and made donations. You've reminded me of how many good people there are in this world. We need those reminders, especially now. So thank you, friends. Your continued support means so much. Today's Story Saturday features one of the good people I've met because of this podcast. Well, I'm Rosemary Watola Tromer. I live in Placerville, Colorado, on the banks of the mighty San Miguel River, very rurally, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I'm a poet and writer and a mom. If you've been listening, then you might remember Rosemary as one of the hosts of Emerging Form, a wonderful podcast about creativity. Rosemary and her co-host Christy Ashwanden invited me to do an interview with Emerging Form last week. I included that interview as a bonus episode earlier this week, and if you missed it, it was one of the most fun conversations I've had in a while. We talked about motherhood, creativity, and the ways that life has surprised and occasionally even delighted us as we're coping with the daily challenges and fatigue of pandemic living. Rosemary and I connected again this past week, and I would be talking for a long time if I listed all of her accomplishments, which include 12 poetry collections, poetry in O Magazine and NPR's A Prairie Home Companion, a TEDx talk, her poems used as choral works, serving as the Poet Laureate for San Miguel County and Western Slope, and winning a long list of awards and receiving three Pushcart Prize nominations. But maybe even more impressive is Rosemary's devotion to helping others explore their own creativity. In addition to co-hosting Emerging Form, she's the co-director of Telluride's Talking Gourds Poetry Club, the co-founder of Secret Agents of Change, and she directed the Telluride Writers Guild for a decade. She teaches and performs poetry for addiction recovery programs, hospice, mindfulness retreats, women's retreats, and teachers. In her spare time, she performs as a storyteller, including shows in Aspen at the Wheeler Opera House, at the Taos Storytelling Festival, and the National Storytelling Festival in Jonesboro, Tennessee. For decades, she's been singing with a local a cappella group. Also, did I mention that she's a mom? But here's what I love so much about Rosemary. I had to look her up to find out all of these things about her. In conversation, she was unassuming, generous, and grounded. 
When I asked her when she started thinking of herself as a poet, she said that even though she's been writing poems since childhood, it's a title she still isn't comfortable with. So I have this weird relationship, I suppose, with the identity of being a poet. But I love the practice of it. I don't want to sound too precious about this or anything, but there's the truth is that my I'm a I practice, right? I just keep practicing at it no matter how many thousands of poems I've written. Uh I I still have this sense of that there's a little bit too much identity involved in that. There's a way to be a writer that isn't an egoic identity-driven way. It's it's a way that that helps us to show up more clearly in the world. And if I can be true to that, I mean that's what I'm here for. I told Rosemary that I thought she'd earned the right to call herself a poet. She said her daughter agrees, that she's always telling her, come on, mom, own it. Either way, I think it's fair to say that Rosemary has found a way of being a writer without letting her ego get in the way. On her website, she says that her one-word mantra is adjust. Her three-word mantra is I'm still learning. I think that I am proof that you don't actually have to be any good to become an artist. I think that dedication can overcome a lack of innate talent. Uh, I certainly didn't have innate talent, but, uh, and Christy and I actually fight about this a lot, my podcast partner, but I realized I loved poems and started reading them a lot and writing them a lot. And, and I think that that initial love of Writing is what keeps me writing now is that I still arrive at a blank page with this kind of sense of, yeah, let's play. Even if it's going to be about something very serious, right? There's still a lot of pleasure involved in being wrestled by the words and seeing what shows up. That pleasure and play is a practice that Rosemary has been doing daily for a long time. Let me say this. About 13 years ago, I started writing a poem every day. And about maybe 10 years ago, I started putting them on a blog then, which is probably crazy, right, to put your first draft out into the world every day. But I think it does show up my commitment to practice and that I value that, I suppose, over having something perfect and shiny and only putting that out into the world. In case you missed it, you heard her right. Rosemary has been writing a poem and putting it out into the world every day for 10 years. That's 3,650 poems, not even counting the ones that she was writing for three years before she started putting them on her blog. But the way that things have evolved now in terms of publishing is that you're not allowed in literary journals anyway to submit anything that's been previously published. And people do consider a personal blog previously published. That's a different conversation about whether that should be true or not. But over time, it occurred to me, what what's really more important to me? Is it more important to put my work out in the world? You know, I have 3,000 people who are getting my poems every day. Or I could send it to a literary journal and, you know, depending on the journal, anywhere from, you know, 20 to 200 people might see it. So I really decided this was this was the way to go for me, that I would much rather be submitting my work directly to the world. Other places that are not literary journals really don't care that much about if you've published it on your personal blog or not. And I really like putting poetry into the world in places that regular people will find it. Right? So I'd actually much rather have it in uh, Braided Way, which is a gorgeous spiritual magazine, or I'd rather have it in 
you know, well, certainly a Prairie Home Companion if that's possible, but places that people wouldn't necessarily think of looking for a poem and then they're kind of confronted with it. And they're like, because let's face it, Laura, most people think uh, poems, I, I don't know if I even like those, but if they meet one, perhaps by chance, they're like, oh, that's a poem. Oh, I kind of, I kind of like that. Oh, that was good. As much as possible, I like putting poems into places people wouldn't necessarily expect to find one so that they can be surprised by their response to it. I really love this very approachable view of poetry. All my life, poetry has intimidated me. The few times I've tried to write it, it's felt a bit like meddling in someone's secret recipe without knowing the ingredients. But also, I know what rosemary means. When I've encountered poems where I recognize something of myself in them, it's a delight, even if I didn't go looking for it. Over time, this has given me a reverence for poetry. For years, I've often started my writing time by reading poetry, and then when something inspires me, I put the poem down and begin writing. My poet friends are some of the wisest, most thoughtful people I know. Maybe it's that their eye is trained to see the metaphor and alliteration in life, or that they know intuitively how to stop and hold on to the moments that most of us just let pass. Sometimes I still feel intimidated by poetry because it's not a passive form of art. Sometimes it makes me work, but rarely do I regret it. I read many, many poems a day, and I know for a fact that they save my life, that, that they help me to meet the moment. They, they help to show us what it is to be human, what it is to be alive, and what it is to be alive right now. And what's thrilling, I think, about poetry is that it most often is touching a moment, at least contemporary poems do, right? They're not trying to eclipse the whole you know, century, right? They're, they're trying to touch what is it like to be alive in this moment. And if you can touch that authentically, there is that, that moment of revelation, right? Like, oh, yes, that's it. That's what it is to be a human. Yes. And, and in that recognition, right, we have that thrill and uh, I, poems do that to me, right? And I, and then I have that when I'm writing also, as I sit down and I show up and I start to write and I let the poem lead me, and then I have that moment in the poem where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's it. That's it. I know what Rosemary means. I've had that same experience, not just with poetry, but with writing in general. It's such a deep comfort to feel like you're not alone, especially when you're hurting. I asked Rosemary if she could share any of the poems that had helped her through dark times, that had, as she put it, saved her life. The first one that comes to mind is by uh, Rainer Maria Rilke. He was a German mystic poet. It's you darkness. And, and I was going through a fairly dark period in my life. And, and in this poem, he, he falls in love with it. He says, you darkness that I come from, I love you more than all the fires that fence in the world. For the fire makes a circle of light for everyone, but then no one outside learns of you. But the darkness pulls in everything shapes and fires, animals and myself, how easily it gathers them, powers and people. And it is possible a great energy is moving near me. I have faith in nights. And when I, when I read that, 
it went straight through me. We always have the opportunity, right, to learn from from difficult times, from challenge. We may not want to, but the invitation is there. And this poem was such a oh glorious suggestion that I might not just struggle with the darkness, but fall in love with it. And and in doing so, it it changed everything about that experience. Not that it made it easier, no, but that it it shifted the perspective. And allowed me to meet it with more grace, I suppose. I love the invitation to fall in love with darkness. It calls to mind an element of the gratitude journaling I learned from my friend Patrick, a survivor of a traumatic brain injury who I talked about in episode 43. The practice is to call to mind a negative event and then reframe it to see it as an opportunity for growth and change. The older I've gotten, the more I've realized that darkness is not something I can avoid, not for long anyway. I spent a lot of my earlier years trying, and the end result was always the same. It wasn't until I began to understand darkness differently that I could find my way through it, that I could accept it as an invitation to understand the world more deeply and compassionately, Over time, that started showing up in my writing. During this time of sheltering in place, I've experienced this in a new way. In the past, when I encountered darkness, I often resisted putting it in my writing. Sometimes that meant I stopped writing altogether for a while. But writing something and releasing it to the world every day has changed a lot for me. On the dark days, I don't have the luxury of time to see if a happier moment is just around the corner. Some days all I can do is discover the ways the darkness is pulling in everything to learn how to have faith in nights. I asked Rosemary if her daily practice of writing a poem has prepared her for this time or if her practice has changed at all since we began sheltering in place. Laura, I'm glad you actually asked that question because I've been laughing at myself about this. Partly, I'm really glad that I had a daily practice leading into this because there was no question about it. Of course, I was going to continue writing a poem every day. It wasn't, it's not like it even feels like an option. Well, it does. It does. Of course, I still choose to do it. It'd be really easy not to. But one of the ways that that I've allowed myself to continue writing a poem every day is that I've always said this to myself. I say it to every student. It was also the mantra of, of William Stafford, who also wrote a poem every day, lower your standards. I always tell myself that I make several promises every day. And the second promise is that it doesn't have to be good, but that it has to be true. It has to be authentic. I can't just be writing it to sound good. And I know for a fact that if if a poem has authenticity, then it will resonate. But I, I started having a much harder time letting it just be what it was. I, I felt like I felt as if they had to be good. They had to be they had to be great. In fact, they had to be able to save someone's life. And I, I lost my willingness to let them be anything but fabulous. <laughs> it was an interesting thing to notice. And the biggest the biggest way that it showed up, of course, is that I I would spend more and more and more time, you know, making sure is this it? Is this it? Is this really what I mean? Is this really what I mean? And really questioning them over and over and over till they really rang true, you know, like a bell. I put more pressure on myself with them, actually, in surprising ways. I felt this too. 
When I started this podcast, I gave myself permission to let it be anything I wanted it to be, to do it just for myself, and to allow it to be less than perfect. I tried to crank out episodes fast, usually just in a couple of hours. But as the weeks have gone by, life has changed dramatically. Not just for my family, but for the world. I found that, like Rosemary, what I was after every day more than anything else was authenticity. Some days that was lighthearted and fun, but many days it was more serious and required me to dig deeper, both creatively and personally. And also, I started hearing from people, from some of you. Conversations that we didn't have time for before were happening in a new way. It feels like after decades of doing our own thing, we're finally realizing that with much of the former life cleared away, we're all facing the same daily challenge of finding meaning, comfort, sanity. I don't think my writing will save anyone's life, but my reasons for the daily practice have changed. It started out as a thing I was doing for me. It's become my gift to you during this time when we need to know that we're not alone. I suspect that Rosemary's readers are needing her daily gift of poetry more than usual right now. She says her mailing list has jumped by hundreds over the past couple of months. She thinks there's something about this time that has suddenly awakened the world to the truth that poetry has something to offer them, that it can give them a reason to wake up each morning and face another day. And I know for myself that that to read a poem that really touches the moment helps me make it into the next moment, right? And uh, And buoys me especially through difficult times. And let's face it, here we are in, in some difficult times, as much silver linings as there are. And as, you know, as much transformation as I think is possible, the truth is this is really difficult and people are really suffering. And I think that when we're suffering and when we're suffering without an end in sight, we reach out, we are available to anything that's going to help give meaning to that, to help give us hope, to inspire us to wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to wake up and be the best person I can be today. And I think that poems do that. And I take that responsibility right now extremely seriously. This time has also given Rosemary new ways of sharing these poems. She's been doing Facebook Live poetry readings every morning what she describes as an audiovisual anthology of her favorite poems. That's been a lot of fun sharing these poems that I think are very relevant for, for the time. I've been really selecting poems that I think speak to where we are right now. Something thrilling about that, Laura, is that you can see that even poems that were written, you know, decades ago, like Keeping Quiet by Pablo Neruda, these poems that, that reach across the centuries and feel as if they were written for right now, which helps, I think, in a way for us to understand this much larger fabric that we're part of, you know, to know that this moment, although it's unique, is also one we've faced before in other ways. Rosemary is doing a lot right now. Not just the live poetry readings, but working on a novel. She teaches private students and does creative consulting, poetry discussion classes, classes for local and non-local art schools. Businesses hire her to work with their staff and share poetry with them. And she's a mom. Her kids are 11 and 15, which she says has made a huge difference in how she's experienced this time. They're fabulous kids. I have such good kids. And they're they're both motivated in school, and they both are 
self-sufficient in their schoolwork online right now, which is such a blessing for me. I know it's not this easy for everyone, and I know how hard it can be. With so much of her regular work continuing, I asked Rosemary if there were still surprises about this time. Well, the novel, of course, was a big surprise. I was pretty sure I would never, ever, ever, ever write fiction because I knew for a fact that I couldn't tell a story and had no sense of plot. Uh, and then was in, <laughs> and then I was invited to a storytelling festival, and I said, "Oh, and I'll, I'll recite poems." And they said, "No, it's a storytelling festival." And I thought, "What? <laughs> then why did you invite me? Right? Because you know what I do." <laughs> um, Anyway, I had to show up with stories for this storytelling festival, and I loved it. it. Oh, my gosh, it pushed all of my buttons, Laura. I I really thought, I can't do this. And I, I fretted about it for, I had probably seven months lead time before the, from when I, they asked me to the actual event. And I think I just worried about it for six months. Do I know what a story is? I'd write, I'd make notes in my journal like is this a story you know if I told it was very funny uh I worried and worried and worried and then I just freaking did it and I, I I think that the the thing that I've discovered then that I struggled with in storytelling and that I've been having to face in the novel is that the the most important thing in storytelling is to have a a big problem and to let things go wrong and to think what's the worst thing that could happen now and let that happen. And as a mom, oh my gosh, especially I do everything I can in real life to do the opposite, right? To make sure everything stays neat and healthy and, and, you know, everybody's doing okay. And, and instead, you know, with the storytelling, it's this opportunity to do the opposite. And I've noticed that it has a pretty good profound effect on real life, as all art does, you know, it, it informs our daily experience. And yeah, I'm a little bit less uptight about things going wrong now. So the, 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 that part was a surprise. But the teaching, uh, I've been doing that for many, many, many years and, uh, and love working with private students. It's something that thrills me to to work individually with with people on poetry and help them you know as I say serve the poem so that it helps them to learn and and more to the point unlearn the things that we thought we knew it occurred to me as Rosemary was talking that we're in a moment that feels more like fiction than reality if the most important thing in storytelling is to have a big problem we've got plenty However mundane our daily lives may feel for us right now, our larger story is far from boring. The greatest stories don't just have great resolutions. They have great characters who grow and change and come through against all odds. Maybe they come through a little beat up and battered. Maybe they come through having lost their best friend or their child or their home. But a story is not a story, not a good one anyway without some movement, some change so significant and satisfying that we feel grateful when we get to the end. Rosemary's poetry has taken her to some places she never would have dreamed, not just writing and teaching, but partnering with a Buddhist Dharma teacher to lead silent meditation and poetry retreats, where they go back and forth between silence and poetry. Businesses that have nothing to do with literature have hired her to lead off-site poetry retreats. I asked her if she ever encounters people who aren't into poetry. 
Oh, Laura, those are my favorite, favorite, favorite people. Like every series that I love people. I love walking into a room where people think, oh, poetry, no way. Get me out of here. Like, I love those people. <laughs> she told me a story about a poetry retreat that she did for a company. One of her private students was the founder of the company. And even though she knew her employees would resist the idea, she believed that if they gave Rosemary's work a chance, they'd love it. She told them all that, that they were going to be doing, you know, this poetry r- retreat. And we started it. The, in the beginning, it was just this one weekend. It was a poetry retreat. They all admitted, you know, that they were kind of like, ugh, poetry. I think what I loved most of all, you know, is like after the first day and I was walking away to go to, to where I was staying and I could hear through the open window, uh, one of the women said, Oh my God, that was great. You know, and I was like, yes, you know, I just, I, I, and, and now the fact that they all want to continue and do these weekly sessions. Right. So I, I think that I know, I know that most people have negative connotations because they had a teacher tell them they didn't understand it or, or they were told that there's a right way to read the poem and a wrong way and whatever way they did it was wrong. No wonder people think they don't like poems. Even though I've discovered that I do like poems, it still blows me away that businesses are inviting Rosemary into their space. She's worked with scientists, therapists, people who have recognized that poetry has something to offer them. I love science poems that really help bridge the what's happening between you know the scientific world and the and the creative feeling world and see how those things come together. So I you know I just think anytime I have an opportunity to work with other groups, that's a chance to get people in who who maybe are those people who think no, poetry's not for me, but they get in through a side door, and I think the side door is my best friend. I'll be back with more of my conversation with Rosemary, including some of her poems, right after this short break. Shelter in Place is sponsored by Brick and Mortar and Delta Wines. I am so grateful to be sponsored by a small local business that isn't just committed to making great wines, but to making this world a better place. Get 10% off your order when you use the promo code SHELTER at brickandmortarwines.com or winesforchange.com. When you buy wine, you support this show and also other businesses that are working toward more sustainable living. Rosemary has been writing daily poems for 13 years. You can find them at wordwoman.com. I asked Rosemary if she would share a couple of her poems with us. I picked out two. One is from kind of early on. This is about my son. Uh, And this is probably within the first week of, of the kids staying at home. This is called Quarantine. This morning, my teenage boy and I sit quiet on the couch. He does not move to pick up his phone. I do not rise to work or rush to make a meal. We sit, leaning the trunks of our bodies into each other. We do not say much. I close my eyes and cherish his sapling weight. There are so few people I dare now hug, our hands, our bodies, dangerous. But here, in this house so still, I can almost hear him growing. Here... In these minutes that fell off the clock, here I remember, 
how surely we baptize each other with touch. Such simple blessing, silence, the metronome of breath, the leaning in, infectious love. This is Other Shoes, and this one I just wrote uh, this last week. Because, you know, with the lightening of the restrictions, people are, I understand, why rushing out? And uh, this is why I choose to stay at home. This is called Other Shoes and uh, has a quote starting it off, an epigraph from Carlos Santana. We all belong to the same galactic oneness. I could be the doctor who, overwhelmed in the ER, went home and killed herself. I could be the 16-year-old boy who had to cover his father with a white sheet before the coroner arrived. I could be the white sheet. I could be the lawmaker unable to sleep or her pillow that hears her cry out in fear when at last the sleep arrives. I could be the rhythmic hissing of the ventilator or the wail of the wife or the weary hum of the custodian beneath her mask as she wipes the surfaces clean. It could be me, the eleventh death in the town next door to mine. It could be me, the one who unknowingly makes you sick because I don't know I carry something deadly inside my breath. And so I don't hug you when I see you across the post office lobby, though my heart leaps up to hold you, because you could be the flat line on the EKG, because you could be number 12. I asked Rosemary what her hope was for herself and for this world during this time. The pandemic really is an opportunity to be very inwardly focused um, at the same time, paradoxically, of course, that we're outward focused. And I think it does help show up the way that our personal choices affect everyone else. So I think that for me personally, my hope is to continue to really be available to that knowledge to just really think, how can I best serve you? And how do my actions, and by you, I mean you, the, the planet, you know, how do I best show up as a human being right now and, and continue to meet that? You know, I, I wrote kind of a manifesto a few weeks ago about waking up and choosing every day to be the very best person I can be today, to meet the world the very best that I can today. I, I think we needed a major wake up call. Let's face it, things have not been going well. We've been going down, spiraling down in so many ways. And, uh, and we needed a massive correction economically and with our global relationships and with how we treat each other and in our healthcare system. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. What I think is gorgeous is that for every single human being on the globe right now to be facing the same uncertainty, to really understand, wow, it all really is that fragile and that uncertain and that we really do have this invitation to to show up and dance with that and to meet each other in that space again and again and again and again and to collectively think what is the best thing that we could do now? What is the best thing that we could do now? That's thrilling. Sometimes I even see that it's happening. There's so many stories out there of ways that people are showing up for each other and choosing community over chaos, you know, choosing to uh, 
help each other versus help themselves. I just think that there's there's a lot of good that could happen right now. I, I feel like that transformation is really possible. Even though we've never met in person, talking with Rosemary was like having coffee with an old friend. It was a conversation I needed this week, when there was so much to feel discouraged about, when it was so easy to feel alone. I love talking with you. I wish you lived down the street and we could just talk over the fence and my daughter could babysit your kids. And <laughs> At the end of the conversation, we agreed that someday, when all of this is behind us, we'll find a way to meet up in person. In the meantime, we'll keep figuring out how to show up for others, how to choose community over chaos, how to help others before we help ourselves. Rosemary has a new book coming out in a couple of weeks. It's called Hush. I hope you'll check it out. You can find that and so much other great work Rosemary is doing, including her poem a day at wordwoman.com. Before I go, I want to thank Imagine Mindfulness for becoming a supporter of Shelter in Place. If you're looking for a way to reduce stress, anxiety, and pain, Imagine Mindfulness is currently offering an eight-week live online mindfulness-based stress reduction program for a reduced price of just $50. MBSR is a scientifically proven, evidence-based program to reduce stress, anxiety, depression, and pain while improving awareness, clarity, and concentration. Use the promo code SHELTER when you sign up at imaginemindfulness.com to register and to support this show. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Shelter in Place, the best way you can support it is to subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes so others can find it too. The Shelter in Place music was composed by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions, and the Shelter in Place artwork was created by Sarah Edgel. As always, I'll be taking Sunday off, because we can all use a Sabbath. Until Monday, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis.